Thank you. Thank you very much. You are a young age, but you are entering a young age in human analysis. I mean, we have very little to teach because whatever we know is over. And you're entering in an entirely new world order. It's new, it's not yet an order. You will have to bring the order. And let me say a few words. Why do I think so? And what do I expect will happen to you? The major change started by the second part of the 20th century, when the basis of human existence divorced the traditional source of living, which was land and natural resources, and entered in a new way and a new source of existence, and that is science and technology. When the source was land, we have had to divide the land, to put borders, to have sovereignties, to extend it, to fight for it, to create national units, to develop strong borders. And usually the human history was written with red ink. We have had to fight all the time. I don't think that our forefathers were worse than we are, but they have had to fight for their existence because the existence was material, clear, and defined. Today we live on science and technology. Say, 50 years ago, agriculture was 50% of our economy. Today it's 1%, almost unnoticeable. But it also has changed the whole world. Actually, borders were lowered. Wars are not necessary not necessarily the major issues of our time. The old alliances disappeared. There was no longer a confrontation of an ideological nature between East and West, or of an economic nature between North and South. And the major fortune today is knowledge and education. And you make really your living by innovating all the time, endlessly. And the more we discover, the more we know there is more to be discovered. So you're entering a different life. You don't have to continue what happened in the past. The first part of the 20th century showed us the sunny side of this change. The beginning of this century demonstrates the cloudy side of the same story, because not only economy became global, but also terror became global. Terror is not like wars. Wars were really about land and ideology. Terror has very little to do with the two. Terror is without nations, without armies, without clients, without fronts, frontiers, flags, identity. It's all over the places. And they can use the advantage of modern technology. There is no way for the two to exist. The modern age and the terror which is fighting for the old-fashioned way of life. When I think about terror, I don't think it's a war among nations or a war among religions. It's really a war between generations.
an outgoing generation and an incoming generation. Russia wasn't changed by the United States of America. The Russian changed it. If you ask me what is the greatest achievement of China, what changed China, I would say high-tech. What makes India progressing, again, is modern economy. And now it came to new areas, some of them Arabs, some of them Muslims, and a fanatic group among them are worried that modernity may kill tradition. They wouldn't like to endanger their own traditions. The problem is that you cannot make a living on tradition. I mean, you cannot live anymore on your land, on your agriculture, on being under the rule and the whim of monarchs and dictators. You cannot compete. You are making your land a desert. You're making life miserable from every point of view. And in my judgment, they don't have a future because they don't have a message. In my judgment, the world cannot stop fighting them because modernity and violence cannot coexist for the simple reason. For the development of life, you don't have to kill anybody anymore. There are no more reasons for war. Since my time is limited, may I say how do I foresee the future for you? I think there will be four or five major events, say, in the coming decade. The one started in Iraq. It is not a war against the Iraqi people. It's not a war against the Muslim religion. It is really against a dangerous combination of three factors, dictators, mass destruction weapons, and terrorists, whether it's terrorists or nations that harbor terror. But if they will combine the three, it will be too late to fight them. Imagine Hitler would have a bomb before the United States of America. Maybe we wouldn't be sitting here. Whoever is black, whoever is Jewish, whoever is different, doesn't matter. And I think the war against terror will take time. It won't be the, the old divisions of nations. I think the Chinese will join in, the Indians will join in, the Russians will join in. They don't have a choice, none of them. This will then first change, and I hope it will wind up correctly. Namely, to enable everybody, Muslim, Christian, Jews, black, white, to enjoy the potential of a new age. The second change I see is a dramatic revolution in science and technology which will change your life, our lives, the life of everybody. Briefly, it is the nanotechnology because until now, everything we build and used was out of visible material or visible knowledge. Now we are beginning to tackle the invisible side of our existence, the smallest of particulars, the atom, the molecular, which will enable us to build unseen, invisible instrumentation, a robot the size of a hair in your head that can travel in your body and confront maladies, a computer the size of a head of a pin 
material which is by far stronger than fuel, than oil, uh, than steel, sorry. And you wouldn't need so much energy to operate it. You will see an entirely new world wherever we shall move around. Now I'm not talking in 100 years and I'm not talking about science fiction. I'm talking about the coming decade. It started already and more and more nations are developing this new and unbelievable revolution, which is not a new technology, but a new dimension of our life. The third point, I believe, will happen. There must be accommodation between the poor and the rich countries. The rich countries are approaching the poor countries and saying, look, you are driving our weather crazy by cutting trees, drying rivers, we cannot exist like it. And the poor countries are saying, that's very nice of you, but as long as our stomachs are empty, we don't have a common ground to discuss. Poor countries are saying, you in the United States, you in Europe, you subsidize your agriculture to such a height that makes us incapable to compete with you. There is no way to overcome it but by agreement. Weapons and wars won't help. We have to understand that the world cannot be divided between people who have extra and too much and people that have a minimum and too little. I believe this will be the third development. I think there will be a fourth development and that is that the energetic part of economy will wander, will be shifted to China and India. You know, when we are talking about the third world, those are the two largest countries population-wide, and I think they are beginning to move. Giants on their way. China, to understand that technology is not just a technical matter, but when you are introduced technology, it comes with a set of values. Decency, transparency, free research, human relations, international relations. And finally, this will bring also an end to dictatorship. You cannot combine dictatorship and science because dictatorship is based on blindness and science is a matter of eye-opening. I think one of the persons that contributed greatly to democracy was the Minister of Information of Iraq. He showed us how difficult it is to lie in one country. And I, don't, I can't recall anybody else since Charlie Chaplin that made such a mockery of dictatorship as he did. You cannot lie scientifically, and there is no scientific lie. You have to pursue the truth. And you as young people, if I can recommend something, better imagine than remember. Better think about the new world than repeat the histories, some of them important, most of them unimportant, of the past, and become not only students, but teachers. Every person to the rest of his life will have to learn and teach himself about dramatic changes that are awaiting him on their way. And finally, if I can give you an advice,
and that's out of my own experience, you possess much more potential and much more talents than you think. Don't look to Dallas, look to yourself and try to develop your own qualities to be charismatic, to work together, to learn and to hope and never listen to pessimists. Thank you. Sir Cadet Wells from the United States Military Academy. Sir, the United Nations in uh, recent times has uh, suffered uh, a setback uh, in its reputation and uh, its confidence in, in people in believing in it. What do you think the role of the United Nations will be in the future? I think the United Nations was really established under the present form as an answer to the problems of the 20th century, as the League of Nations was established in order to answer the questions of the First World War, so the United Nations was established to answer the questions of the Second World War. We need the United Nations that will relate to the future, more on economics than on politics, for example, more attention to the members who are major partners to our time. You know, for example, India is not a member of the Security Council. Actually, why? And less believing in armies and soldiers and more believing in a joint effort to meet the dangers. You know, we are in a world where enemies disappear but dangers are arriving. Enemies is a matter of nations and armies. Dangers are global and worldwide. The dangers are terror, pollution, aid, poverty. And we don't have a choice but to build the United Nations to face the realities of our time because the claim for some countries to have a veto may have been right in the 20th century. Today, we need a shift, and I hope the shift will occur, by the way, by agreement, not by pressure, not by force. Thank you. <laughs> 